0: This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guests this week are Natalie and Caleb Ebel, the husband and wife team behind direct-to-consumer paint brand, Backdrop. The Ebels started Backdrop in 2018, inspired by a frustrating experience buying paint for their newborn's nursery. In a few short years, they built a unique brand driven by clever color names, stylish marketing, and surprising collaborations with the likes of Madewell and Dunkin' Donuts. Last year, they made another surprising move when the Ebels announced that Backdrop had been acquired by the parent company of Fabric House Schumacher. I spoke with them about what it means to start a company from first principles, what millennial consumers want and why a hundred-year-old trade brand was the perfect partner for a buzzy startup. This podcast is sponsored by The Shade Store. The Shade Store offers designers everywhere a simplified resource for premium handcrafted custom window treatments. With a team of dedicated design consultants available to guide you through the material and product selection process, measure and install professionals to ensure the perfect fit, and more than a hundred showrooms nationwide, the Shade Store has everything you need to design the most beautiful custom shades, blinds, and drapery for your clients. Let the Shade Store take care of the window treatments for you. Sign up for a trade account today at theshadestore.com slash trade. This podcast is also sponsored by Krypton Home Fabric. Krypton exists to make your interiors as thoughtful as they are beautiful, with fabrics that are livable, luxurious, and made to last. With spill odor and stain protection, Krypton leads the industry in performance fabric with a 28-year heritage of innovations that have changed the way fabrics are used in design. No wonder Krypton is the indoor performance fabric trusted by top interior designers. At Spring High Point Market, see what's new from Krypton, top showrooms and events. A Sunday champagne brunch at Theodore Alexander celebrates their new custom upholstery program. A Monday panel discussion at Fairfield Chair informs designing for families and pets. And a new fabric for well-being, Krypton Home Salient, will debut at Cravat. Explore the world of Krypton at American Leather, M.T. Company, Stickley, Cisco Home, Wesley Hall, and over 80 more High Point showrooms, and at krypton.com. And now, on with the show. First of all, thank you both for making the time, and I really appreciate it. And I know this is a busy, especially busy time because you've got a new product rollout, and I want to talk about the new wall coverings and, and, and all of that, because I'm, I'm sure that that's that's challenging particularly in this in this time we're we're living in but before we get into all of that let's tell people a little bit of the backstory of backdrop if you will and how all of this got started so that we can get people up to speed with the two of you
1: i mean we started backdrop we were living in new york city and originally had the concept in 2016 and Natalie and I have been married quite a while, and
2: I feel like we have to take credit. Wait, wait, we've been married twelve years. That's a long time. So, like, time. I think that a that's year. a little subjective. So, like, <laughs> yes. over a decade. So, let's just take credit there. Sure,
0: married I am over so a decade, glad that you that you clarified right that because right, that was being we're not some naive here.
1: newlyweds here. Like, we're- no. <laughs>
0: So twelve years married, married a long time.
1: Um, Yes. All right. So we lived in a lot of apartments in New York City, and we would paint every time we move into one. A shabby New York City apartment, a fresh coat of paint makes a big difference. And you know, had our eyes open to that experience, especially in a New York City context, it was extremely painful. And Natalie had some experience having painted way more often in her past than I had. She painted with her father.
2: Yeah, I grew up painting. My dad painted homes on the side. I always saw the transformational impact that color can have on a space. So I painted my bedroom a handful of times. I always wanted my parents to buy me new furniture and they're like, no. We're not buying new furniture every year, but let's paint <laughs> the room because that will totally transform this. And then my dad was always the one, you know, walking around every six months, one year, touching up and making paint look fresh. So it's something that I grew up doing and felt comfortable with and had, you know, some experience previous to us Entering backdrop
0: and and you believed in the in the power of paint right the transformational power of paint
2: totally but also saw the the challenges with it if you don't have someone really holding your hand through that process and that person was my father so right. it was some good firsthand experience and you know going to the paint store as a couple would always really test your relationship because you know mm. you'd go four times for one purchase and. Looking at 3,000 colors was always very overwhelming. Around
1: that time, we were also having really great brand experiences in every other category we were purchasing. And we, I had worked at a company called Worry Parker. We were engaging with digital first brands and brands that were very customer centric. And that was the default. And so when we approached this next purchase experience and it just didn't compute why it was so fragmented and painful. And so that got us thinking like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Fundamentally, something is broken here. When you go into a hardware store, if you're not a contractor, you're kind of second class the moment you walk into that store. And hardware is like a kind of a uniquely neglected retail experience from the consumer perspective. And so we would walk by that Upper West Side hardware store and see the same people there, just literally pulling their hair out in front of the collar wall multiple times. It became a bit of a running joke, uh, but there was no alternative. Amazon wasn't selling paint. There was no online options. There were no brands that were catering to what we felt like we were as consumers. And so we said, okay, let's take a look at this. We started asking friends outside of New York City, is this a real problem? Is this a New York City problem? Or And we found like everyone else around the country, most of our friends um, at that time were in cities where People are age-owned homes, and they were remodeling their homes and spending a lot of time and resource on that. And they all kind of resoundingly shared our pain for that experience. So, But fast forward to 2018, and we we really jumped in with two feet and started Backdrop.
2: Like when we came up and started talking through this idea in 2016, Caleb's like, you know, there's something there, this is such a commodified product, but there could be a better design experience and just focused around design. I was like, you're crazy. I'm not starting a business with you. We're married. We've been married for a while. Like, we're not going to do that. And, and plus, I was pregnant, but naturally came back to paint because that's something that we we were doing frequently. And I went to go paint our daughter's nursery and in an, you know New York City. That's a, a closet, basically. But I wanted to paint it a pure white. <laughs> and I, at the same time, had ordered a rug from Morocco. And I got that in 10 days. And then it took me an entire month to paint the nursery white. So there was the disconnect of, Paint being a design purchase and just that fragmented experience and how long it took. And we knew there was a real opportunity to fix it.
0: And so, how did you get from, no, we're not going into business together <laughs> and we're having a baby and we got to finish this nursery to, yes, you're right, there is an opportunity here. Tell me that conversation or series of conversations I'm imagining.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what we started seeing was the paint industry is really a handful of very large very old manufacturing companies that dominate the category and these companies have been doing the same thing for a very long time and a lot of the choices that they've made over many decades and a century of decision making have kind of like accumulated to become the baggage around the customer's neck you know uh choosing hardware as the default retail uh channel or distribution channel was a choice that was made many decades ago before other channels became available internet digital commerce etc and so What we saw was there was no brand affinity, especially among millennials or like a younger cohort, right? The people who are now driving um, real estate investment, home furnishing investment, et cetera, a lot of them are approaching the paint category for the very first time. There's no brand affinity. There's no knowledge of what paint color or brand or name was on the walls. And so we saw a real opportunity that said, if you took this down to first principles and you weren't encumbered by that century of baggage. And you were starting from scratch, serving a consumer in a new way, you would do things very differently. And so that was our approach. Let's take it down and start from scratch. And when you do that, you start again and you have um, less decision paralysis because you're curating the experience. Um, That's what we set out to do. And every touch point we really labored over, what kind of packaging should we have for this thing? It's not a, you know, the paint can hasn't changed in decades. Well, why not? Because old manufacturing companies don't want to change all their machinery, right? But if you were doing it from scratch, you would do things differently. And so that's the approach that we took across the board. And I think the output was a very thoughtful, customer-friendly experience.
2: Yeah, and I think the best design sweats the details, you know, the devils in the details. And the small things manifest into something really beautiful and special. And so that, like, really laborious process of rethinking the can design, being really heroic about our color naming and spending just as long as thinking about the color names as we did the paint color because i think the color name really brings the color to life and then even the other touch points through telling people the exact color that they're looking at through our sampling process and we can thank my mom to that my mom was painting um and she had three paint like physical paint swatches up on the wall They were up there for three months. She forgot the colors that she had painted. She canceled Christmas and then had to start all over again because she didn't know what color went with what (laughs) because the paint looks a little different when it dries. And so I was like, why, like, you know, rather than putting tape underneath it, why don't you put the color name and, you know, you're looking at a warm white, a cool white, a pure white. And those details were really important, especially when working with something as nuanced as color.
0: Okay. So there are so many things that you both just mentioned that I want to get into. Caleb, I want to go back just so that our listeners are up to speed. Mm-hmm. This notion of sort of going back to first principles, mm-hmm. explain for listeners what that means. Sure. Because right? Because it's an important it's an important exercise in the in this whole process.
1: Yeah, a first principles approach just means that you really do start with a blank slate. You don't take anything as given. You don't Uh, acknowledge kind of like legacy constraints and you say, if you were truly starting unencumbered optimized for the current state of affairs, that's what you're building towards. And so, you know, the art of it is, you know, when you do start with a first principles approach of finding the areas of true improvement and, you know, also leveraging the best practices that have existed because, you know, you're not recreating everything from scratch. You cherry pick the best things and put those into a new kind of format in a new approach. And then you come with something that's just meaningfully better than the status quo. And so that was our approach to starting this and researching.
0: Well, one of the reasons I was so eager to speak with both of you is picking up on what you were just saying, Caleb, you two have taken what is essentially a commodity product, paint, and have sort of gone back and kind of reimagined what if this was delivered to consumers in a different way and the way that you have marketed yourselves and the way that you have thought about the design of the can the names of and i and i want to get into the specifics of of all of that because Mm. it's refreshing to have what we think of as an everyday product, reimagined and sort of brought into the world almost anew. Mm-hmm. So let's start with colors. So Pablo, Honey, and- do you,
2: do you know that reference, Dennis?
0: So because Fred is a musician, of course, we were talking about Radiohead's first album. So yes, we do know that reference. And of course, Creep is is on that, that first album. So
2: We're heavily influenced by music. I think that's like- part of just creating something that makes you feel something too like music makes you feel something it brings you back to a place you identify it and color can do the same thing so like a lot of our names were heavily influenced by music and songs
1: and travel and art like you find inspiration in a lot of places but the emotional connection is really important and when you're too on the nose with the color name you know yeah. Citrone, whatever, ten did, ten random digits after that, right? Like you just lose the opportunity.
2: When we started asking friends what colors on your wall, no one knew. Well, it's white or it's gray. Like, no, what color is it? Well, let me look at the chip and it's, you know, O C eighty seven, fifty five, twelve, and you're like, Hmm, what color is that? I don't know. And so we saw an opportunity to create a brand, like you said, I I mean, it's a very mature market. The products were commodified. And I think that's where the biggest brand opportunity is for a lot of product categories. And we leaned into it. So I think the best design too extends beyond the product, but it's how do you design an experience that people want to keep coming back to? And I loved to paint and I wanted to keep painting, but I didn't like that process. So we were like, how do you make this easier, more accessible, and more importantly than anything, a design purchase, not a hardware store purchase.
1: I will say just one point on the commodified commodified paint market. The paint isn't just paint. Like paint comes in a lot of different like quality tiers and nuances. And so, you know, table stakes for anything we're doing is a really exceptional product. But it is a product that for the average consumer, those like nuances in, in quality are sometimes hard to you know, to determine across brands, for example. It's not a product that you're ingesting or wearing or interacting with all the time. And so, but we don't leave it to chance. We are, you know, selling a very good quality paint, which is table stakes. And then we're optimizing around brand and experience on top of that. I think that's like an important modifier.
0: What did the two of you think was top of mind for the market that you were going after was it this sort of sustainability and environmental issue was it tell me what you what you thought of
1: Well, we found in terms of the product quality itself not the experience not the color curation etc the paint as a product people want to know obviously it's going to cover well right so coverage of the surface whatever color or substrate or whatever that may be the way that it's applied has a big impact. So our paint is high viscosity. It has really strong coverage, but it's very user friendly. And so what we found is we've optimized our product for that painter who's maybe never painted before, and they can still have an amazing, kind of like pro-level quality of outcome because the product's so good, and we guide them a little bit. So the way that people interact with the product, obviously how it applies, viscosity levels, coverage, odor is a big consideration. And so these are the things that we were checking in terms of product development of the paint itself exclusive of the actual experience for how you're going to interact with the brand and the packaging and the colors themselves.
0: Caleb, you mentioned earlier that you had spent some time at Warby Parker and Warby Parker was one of these brands that everybody would hold up and say, oh this is the Warby Parker of this and the Warby Parker of that category and mm. there was right there was this sort of sort of highly exalted notion about the the brain power uh, of, of that team mm-hmm. and and what mm-hmm. and what that was doing i wonder what you took away from the experience that you had there and 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 brought to your thinking about backdrop
1: when you have a really strong like kind of value structure and you are very customer centric those are the you know secret ingredients for tackling a legacy sector where the kind of incumbents have been in place so long, they kind of forget. They're optimizing for a specific customer type and trying to apply that across all customer types, right? You can't be all things to all people. And so you know we really started Backdrop out of a DIY experience, and then later found that, actually, that a lot of the pain points and value propositions that we were creating were really resonating with the design trade as well. But those are the consumer groups that we're really focused on. We do find that, like, paint contractors love the quality of our product. and. Get pulled into experiencing backdrop, but we are not going out and optimizing our experience for that consumer group, and so that's a departure. I think. I think those are some of the learnings from from that experience, but they're a good role model.
0: And Natalie, you also have a strong marketing background and a, a, a strong opinions <laughs> about how to how to position your your brand and and, and how you've thought about it. So,
2: yeah, I mean. When we launched or when we started to think about backdrop to sell paint online, you know, everyone tells us we're crazy. You can't tell paint online. Your monitor is going to look different. No one's going to buy color online. I was like, that's not true. Beauty is sold online. And beauty was the industry that we did look at for a lot of inspiration. And there are a lot of parallels because if people feel confident enough to buy color online through lipstick, foundation, blush, why can't they feel confident enough to buy paint color online? So we, when you break that down and it's like, what are the elements that build consumer confidence? It's showing you know, the dry roll, the wet paint, the corner. So you get the shadows and the nuance and the depth of the color, telling people exactly what they're looking at. But I think most importantly, I am a very discerning consumer. I, I do my research. I think Instagram has changed a little bit how consumers shop and just credibility. And I wanna see real paint in real spaces. It never had helped me previously because a lot of the renders, you knew their renders, and I can use Photoshop and render that color, but how do I know it's true? So I think the most important thing that Backdrop has done to sell color online is showing real paint and real spaces.
0: As we were just talking about the, the ideal customer that you first had in mind, it seemed like you were going after this millennial customer base, and tell me, what you thought that meant and how you thought the best way to, to reach and communicate with them and how that's informed many of the decisions that you've made about collaborations and, and elsewhere.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the best brands, I think Caleb might've said this before, like a five-star experience, you know, and that's what people are looking for. And when you create a really great product, with a really great brand experience, the brand kind of spreads like wildfire on itself. You wanna tell people, wow, I just bought paint online. It was this amazing experience. I got the exact color that I saw on the internet and now it, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. So I think that was part of the process, just creating and being really thoughtful about everything that we designed. And then in terms of collaborations, when we set out to launch Backdrop, I wanted to position Backdrop you know, paint is a design purchase, but I think design extends so much more into lifestyle. So that is just beyond the paint can, beyond the color on the wall. So how do you bring those things to life? You bring it to life through the name. You bring it to life. We have playlists going back to music. Um, (laughs) You know, what do you do when you paint? You, You turn on music and you listen to something, but color can make you feel something. Music can make you feel something. And those are some of the things that can help visualize and just bring the color to life in different ways that hadn't been done before. But I always knew we wanted to do collaborations and partnerships because I think that it's the unexpected ones that really, but anyways, going back to partnerships. So partnerships were so important. I always think of partnerships that are really interesting that go outside of the category. People expected backdrop to partner with other home design brands, but that just felt exactly what you you would expect from a paint brand so i think that creating the moments going into fashion like we did with madewell doing a collaboration with dunkin donuts and selling out and being on fallon it's creating buzz (laughs) and creating a collectible item that people talk about and it becomes more than just paint but now like um a little bit like ingrained in culture
0: Krypton Home is a trusted partner to the top names in the design industry. You'll find their performance fabrics in your favorite design showrooms, such as Kravit, Fabricut, Tebow, Charlotte Fabrics, United, and Anna Elizabeth, and in retail furniture trade programs such as Our House, Design Within Reach, Ballard Design, and many more. Krypton is also a featured performance brand at over 80 high-point market furniture showrooms, Find your favorite go-to resources today at krypton.com. You mentioned this idea of everyone assuming you were going to make traditional choices around collaborations, that there was going to be some design element to it, or it was, you were keen to make less obvious choices. And I want to talk about that. And And the, and the success that you've had with the collaborations that you've, that you've done. And I know you're, you're working on another one that's coming soon, but the made well being sort of the most recent and is on the site right now. Tell me, tell me the thinking behind it. Tell me how it sort of came to. To be
2: it's funny i have an email that i sent caleb like back in 2018 of saying it would be such a dream to do a workwear partnership with madewell and that's kind of like the secret i'm like okay i put it out in the universe and now it needs to come back to me and you know fast forward <laughs> two years later we're getting all this inbound request of people wanting to do color collaborations and i think that shows a couple things one that everyone wants to own a color and two when you create really strong brand capital people want to be a part of it so made well was a dream it's an 11 piece workwear collection inspired by artists and their time in the studio and the color is called studio hours it's um, a really warm beautiful rosy taupe and there's coveralls to jackets bucket hat shoes just everything you could think of, and and it's it's selling very well and becoming one of our best-selling colors too. So that was one, and then we've done one with Duncan, as I already mentioned, and then coming soon, um, the New York cult design brand that I think many of us are familiar with.
0: So for listeners who aren't familiar, you you did a partnership with Dunkin' Donuts, and tell us how it how it came about <laughs> and and what the what the thinking was, and the very positive feedback that you got from. So many people.
2: So Duncan had reached out to us wanting to do paint colors and their iconic, you know, Duncan orange and Duncan pink. And I think the key to good collaborations and good partnerships is really brought to life in the execution, because I think if the the art direction would have been different for this one, it wouldn't have been as successful. And we ended up shooting it, the backdrop team being me, Caleb um, and our marketing director, I was eight months pregnant It was a very fun shoot to do when they send like 200 donuts and there's a lot of sprinkles (laughs) and you're biting donuts. And like, it was so fun and playful and really brought to life the backdrop brand through Duncan, through the photography. But again, I think it's all in the art direction of how sophisticated something can look because it can easily be kitsch if it's not too thoughtful.
0: So part of what's interesting to me about so much of what you have talked about is the way the more established paint companies thought about their distribution channels is in many ways similar in my mind to how the interior design industry has thought about their distribution channels and the market that they're going after. And it's one of the reasons that I think and here we go we're going to segue now into f schumacher showing up and acquiring your brand and the the thinking behind that i think that timor who we've we've had on the show and who we who we sort of feel we we really love that timor who's the ceo of f schumacher company how he's he's thinking about these broader markets and and bringing and staying close to what the millennial market is is doing and so he surprised many people when he, when he announced his acquisition of your company tell me how that came to to be and 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 some of how you think about why he found you so appealing
1: yeah we got introduced to Timor, and some of the folks at Schumacher, when we were basically neighbors in New York City, our office was um, just a block or two away, and we had a mutual friend connect us, and we, we met up, and what we found was a real shared kind of like perspective on innovation in the home space, and that coming from someone that was running a 100-year-old-plus luxury design house, it was really refreshing, and they had some interest in paint and we had a lot of respect for their brand and we just quickly did a an email collaboration to their audience which was really well received natalie and and dare from their team had both uh individually curated an assortment and they went out as like two separate pairings and um it just re- kind of reaffirmed this like natural state of like we all know that paint and wallpaper are products that are used together and when you, you can pair those and Pair of brands that make a lot of sense together. Like there's some magic that can happen. But so fast forward, we had just stayed friendly. And then uh, we were entering kind of a new phase for our business uh, last year and just really the stars aligned. In the meantime, F. Schumacher and company had been making a lot of innovations and, and changes, preparing for the future on their side. And we all just sat down together and said, listen, on a personal level, there's a lot of like kind of deep shared respect, but also backdrop. As a next-generation challenger brand in, in the paint category, serving a digital-first, you know, predominantly millennial but not exclusively millennial customer it makes a lot of sense on a few different axes to to join this family. It's it's category extension into paint. It's uh, serving that consumer trade kind of crossover audience in this younger demographic, uh, whereas the Schumacher family has been traditionally exclusively to the trade, and you know gives us access to some real product expertise in history as we go into new product categories in the future. And so it was kind of a very natural fit from that perspective on our side.
0: Natalie, can you add some color to this conversation?
2: Totally. I, I think that what was so fun about talking to the Schumacher team early on too is just Timur's plans of the future of home and the way that he thinks about it, but also how do we all own the home together? So with backdrop, we're paint on the walls. There's Patterson Flynn, you know, premium wall carpets. And I think that for us now extending our product offering into wall coverings is a really exciting opportunity for us to own the walls. So now I can fully say, what's your backdrop? And it could be something from paint to now premium wall coverings in partnership and, you know, made through Schumacher's manufacturing printing capabilities. So it is, it's going to be like premium wall coverings, not peel-and-stick, professional installation. Um, so I'm very excited to start rolling these out. We'll have three collections coming out this year.
0: Love it. And how did the partnership with F. Schumacher and Company influence, impact, help you think? In, I mean, I know that their, their vast resources have been, have been helpful to you. But to t- tell me how else the, the, the partnership might have played a role.
2: Yeah. I mean, their, their mill and their capabilities on, you know, the quality of F Schumacher and co is something we're so excited about. I mean, the substrate is just gorgeous. Mm. You can see the fibers and it's so hard to capture that. We just even shot some stuff here in studio last week, but it's been amazing. I've worked really closely. Like the collection is fully our own with all of our own designs, but having the mentorship and knowledge of people in their design studio, such as Pam, who is the creative director of Patterson Flynn and runs the Mill, and then even Dara. And just having people to ping ideas off of and having them in our orbit has been really special.
0: And and we should put, yes, and we should point out for listeners, Dara Caponegro, who's a creative director at, at F. Schumacher and Company and the editor-in-chief of the beautiful Frederick, Frederick, yes. Frederick yes. Magazine and all of that. I mean, yes. So 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 many layers to what to what Derek can do, and uh, and and nice uh, nice feature in there for for you guys as, as well. That was that yeah, was Frederick fun. is
2: gorgeous. It's it's a very beautiful magazine.
0: That is a nice place to show up, to be sure. And Caleb, as you were just touching on earlier, yes, it appeared early on that there was this millennial customer base that you were going after. Obviously, there's there's this designer customer, and and. Schumacher has been serving that customer for for a very long time, and now you're being part of that family. I'm assuming you're introduced to a lot more of of sort of the design scene. Tell me how you think about the designer customer relative to the other cohorts that you were imagining going after I mean we
1: started the business really focused on ourselves. Like we as consumers, what do we want? And then we found that a lot of other people wanted the same thing. And so it was really from a place of serving customers that had preferences and needs like ours, which is the most authentic way to do it. And it caught us a little bit by surprise, but we've been able to build a program with the design trade that's really that's really special. And especially the, the younger uh, designers in the design trade really do crave a lot of the same things that younger customers crave on the on the homeowner or renter side it's authentic brand relationships, it's top quality experience has a really good value, and so it's not so different.
0: Natalie, tell me how you think about because I know early on you didn't want to do sort of the natural designer partnerships as we talked about a little bit earlier, and you didn't want to show highly designed spaces in your instagram and oh, yeah. elsewhere right you want yeah, to sh- i
2: mean i think that's part of like the first principle so and like how you bring a brand to life through art direction and photography and point of view and like when we launched backdrop i really wanted to show the process of painting there weren't really any other brands out there that showed how you get from point A to point B and really look at paint as an art form. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Look at the dry roll. Look at the, the color in that way and and not shine away from the process. So that was really important to me from day one. I didn't want to do staged rooms with a staged vignette. You know, all of our colors we've ever launched, I've painted on our real walls, which not sure how scalable that is but it's like true level of <laughs> conviction that like the color works in a space it's not just a marketing color and and showing it too like on a real wall painted or in our studio but then you know getting people to paint this product and having real paint in real spaces was really important to us and i think i got really excited when i saw designers starting to do this and one of my favorites i'm not sure if you're familiar with jenny kaplan she is the creative director um, of pieces of an aesthetic pursuit. And she has that home you've probably seen all over Instagram with the rainbow rug. (laughs) And she specced our paint for the entire house. And seeing it come to life like that was just so exciting for me. And I think, again, opened our eyes to a world that like designers are craving the same things. I mean, designers are consumers. People talk about these cohorts differently, but at the end of the day, we're all consumers. How do you fix the needs of these consumers in a different way? But at the end of the day, there's a way to design this and solving problem of simplicity that everyone wants.
0: One of the challenges that D2C brands sometimes face when they shift to uh, address the designer market is that there isn't a margin built in for what is often an industry looking for a trade discount or some kind of a right, some kind of a, a price adjustment. Tell me how you think about that. Tell me how that challenge has presented itself for for you.
1: I mean, we built the product assortment um, with kind of a thoughtful approach to how margins would work, and we have you know ample you know ability to serve both audiences. Basically, you know, it's not that's not a concern for us. I think we we can work across channel types, um, and our you know business is built with a really healthy margin. Uh, while still offering it a really great value proposition, which is the best of both worlds. And that's how you build longevity. And so paint is a unique product where it does, it straddles the consumer and the pro sides of the market in a unique way. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of products are kind of exclusively built for the trade. And a lot of products are kind of exclusively built for consumers, but paint is like one of the more unique, I think, crossover products. And there's, so that's a lot of opportunity for us and we we intend to serve both sides of that market.
0: Natalie, I'm wondering when you think about servicing a designer, what do you get the sense are some of the priorities for your designer customer base? So many so many companies today are trying to think about what their trade program needs to look like and as you were saying earlier sort of what are the boxes that you need to mm-hmm. to check and and how does How does Backdrop sort of think about addressing this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is like an ever-evolving thing because we can always improve and always thinking of new ways to do this, but really just solving any problems or pain points they have. How do we make it really frictionless to like, hey, I need paid in a client's house tomorrow. And a couple of things that we've started to do, one, in LA, we do same-day delivery, which has already been used by a couple of our designer friends hey, I need five gallons of supermoon. Great. it will be there in two hours. And we do have those capabilities to be really nimble. Um, so while we are digital first, like we're also offline and we can move fast. So there's some, some like, you know, hypotheses that we're testing to see what people hold on to. But I think it's just really, again, trying to make their lives easier and listening and then responding to what works.
0: So getting a lot of feedback, seeing what's really sort of bubbling up in terms of importance. As you think about sort of rolling out wall coverings now, is it a different set of, are there a lot of different mechanics that you need to put in place that are separate and apart from what you've been Doing with uh, with with paint,
2: you know that was the hope. I was like, we're going to do a big photo shoot, and we're going to do this. And we're, <laughs> now, so again, we did it in house in studio in a really scrappy way. Thought about how people need to see the pattern. Do you see it digitally? Let's put it in repeat. Let's do a zoomed in shot. Let's show you know this match like prescriptively. This is great in a kitchen. So let's show all these different environments. And I think that will adapt as we get responses, but it's just thinking through that customer journey of how do you build confidence to buy a product online and and just iterating it from there.
0: And have you found that yeah. I mean as you were saying earlier, the confidence level has has increased dramatically, right? During this during this time especially?
2: Yeah, in terms of how people like experience our, our digital presence. And Caleb, you can talk more to that. But I think, you know, the like over half of our customers buying Paint and those customers being designers too without ever sampling it really shows the special environment that we've built online where people trust the color that they're seeing and they know exactly what they're going to get, and also know exactly that that color is going to show up at a client's house and that will go on the wall. So, kind of removing that step.
1: I mean, the things that we really look to and take um, kind of confidence in are that customer that goes directly to the paint purchase and doesn't feel like they need to labor over. Um, the color sampling journey. We've made sampling super easy, but it's really nice when we see half of our customers trust the curation, the presentation, et cetera, and say, yes, I want Surf Camp. And they go paint their house and have an amazing experience. The other thing we look at is um, repeat business. And you know, there's this misnomer that paint is not a repeat product. Well, actually it is for the design trade, obviously, but for DIY painters as well, they move through their space sequentially and it actually does represent a lot of opportunities for touch points. And, you know, we see customers coming back, a meaningful share of any given month's business is returning customers who are coming back and voting with their dollars in the product quality and the experience, et cetera. And so those are things that we look at and really take pride in and, and monitor closely.
2: Just talking about how we're thinking about designers differently and I'm part of many trade programs and thinking about the customer experience that I have even to order thinking about how the next generations of of designers want to place orders whether that be through a text a phone call like you can text our our head of like an account executive that works with all of our trade members, you can text an order and they'll place it for you right away. We have a, you know, text us, we text back, call us, we call back. You can quickly email us. So I think that being as accessible as possible for a lot of these designers is going to be really important to the success of the trade side of the business. And that's, again, the customer experience being really rooted in the foundation of the company and customer first. And I know that was a little bit of a a pivot of what we were just talking about, but I do think that's an important point.
0: Well, I think it is an important point, especially because this is part of what the industry is trying to figure out right now is how open do we need to be to all of these new methods of communication what we hear again and again from designers is is just what you were suggesting natalie we want the easiest way possible to place an order or to get a sample or to get a gallon of paint overnighted to me. We want as many obstacles removed, That's
2: exactly it. And I mean, I think that's, again, why I keep Instagram so close because that's a firsthand interaction with both designers and consumers, even though they're the same consumers um but you know getting (laughs) we've already established
0: that they are actually the same (laughs) people but you know i get dms all the time
2: like hey can you i get three samples overnight to houston absolutely you can but that's the type of customer service that they need so that kind of made us think of like wait we need a service that people can get this stuff quickly you know someone is on on call all the time to service them and um how do we make this as easy as possible so this changes the way that they purchase paint in the future
0: We're taking a quick break from the show to remind designers about one of the benefits of the Shade Stores trade program: trade exclusive access to the Shade Stores COM program for Roman shades, drapery, and cornices. Combined with the Shade Stores extensive collection of more than thirteen hundred in-stock materials, the creative possibilities are virtually endless. Visit the ShadeStore.com/trade today to sign up for a trade account and learn more. We tend to talk very broadly about millennials, right? As if they all sort of think the same way or act the same way, right? Or but but I mean, what have we learned about how this audience wants to interact? What have you discovered is important to them that the design industry can learn as well?
2: Oh gosh. Caleb, do you want to start? I feel like there's like a lot.
0: Well, I think a lot of the a lot of the
1: framework that we had from the very like Pre inception, you know, uh, backdrop has held true. And I think part of that's just because we were the target customer group. So we were building for ourselves. We didn't have to, you know, we gut checked our assumptions with peers, but we didn't have to go create focus groups to learn about some like foreign group of people that we, you know, it's like, how do I understand these millennials? Well, okay, what do I want? That's what I want.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: So I think that was easy for us and maybe harder for some other businesses where it's not like, Such a natural, I'm serving my own kind of like needs. But at the end of the day, millennials, not a monolith, a lot of differences across (laughs) like across the country, across aesthetic preferences, et cetera. But frictionless digital commerce. That applies to millennials and other age cohorts. Authenticity, and people can snuff out inauthenticity very easily now. Like, you cannot fake it. Um, You may be able to fake it for a short amount of time, and that is not a long-term strategy, right? Um, So having a strong point of view so you stand out from the noise, but also being authentic in, like, what you present, your values, living up to those values, et cetera, and treating, you know talking to
0: people you
2: talk i think i think i'm gonna jump in like you talk to people you don't talk at them and i think that's the most important thing like and tell me what
0: that means tell me what that means when you talk to people i mean i think
2: a lot of these brands kind of manufacture a tone of voice that you know they're always trying to market something or sell you something but not you know if if i wouldn't say it to how i would say it to a friend or say it to caleb or say it to a colleague like you shouldn't you shouldn't speak that way to a consumer and i think it's just And the tone of voice, um, and and maybe Caleb, you can add to this, but I I just think it's always really treating people like people and being talked to how you want to be talked to.
1: Yeah, this notion that like brand is like this other, or like a company is this other like formation. Like a brand is basically a person. We we talk to people as if we're their friend or their older brother or their older sister, and we filter everything we put out as a company through that lens. Are we being cheesy would i talk to my brother that way are we being <laughs> you know fluffy using jargon are we you know like like we really labor over this stuff but it has an impact for like how you interact with customers and i think that would go that would be very beneficial for other companies yeah. to <laughs> like i would just... i would
2: never on my personal very <laughs> humble following on instagram be like tag me to potentially be featured like no. Like if you, if people and our customers are creating really good content, I'm so excited about it. I'm going to ask, Hey, can I share that? I love it. And it's almost show, don't tell. Like you don't tell people the stuff you show them how to be a part of it. And they, they naturally come in. So I think it's just some of those things that we're really sensitive to and that we pick up on, um, that we try to live out.
0: And it's about being genuine. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you can't manufacture it. And I think
1: that's the main point. It, the last point on I think that, again, this isn't true just in millennials, but people want five-star experience, three-star price. That is kind of the magic triangulation. And so you really do have to to serve like a five-star experience and create good customer value in the process. And the internet is the most like transparency creating environment that exists, right? So like you cannot hide behind closed doors. Like there's price transparency, there's customer review transparency there's UGC content like you cannot fake it and so better just to embrace that that reality and and kind of live your authentic self and that's where companies will thrive but when you try to like game the system like this price for you this price for like you will be found out you know
0: well so i mean it, I, i'm so glad that you said that caleb because i mean this is this is one of the third rail issues in our industry is this price transparency issue and it and it comes up more and more because as you said the 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 internet reveals all and prices for all of these things are out there or somebody has this information and we seem to be tripping over ourselves at times to, to try and contain this, no, no, you—I th- don't yeah. know where that price came from. Or so it just seems like a, a dam about to burst.
2: It is, I think right? It
0: is. I mean, I won't—I won't
1: claim to be an expert or have all the solutions. It—it it seems like if you can be an exclusively to the trade business, you can operate that way. When you start straddling consumer and trade, you just need to embrace the fact that once you step toe in the consumer side you have to embrace transparency full stop. So you can't have it both ways. Like if you just want to serve the trade, that's a kind of a closed door behind the scenes situation. You can do what you like. Once you dip your toe into anything consumer facing, just like pull the curtain completely back and embrace that that needs to be a transparent environment. And those are different kind of like modes of operation.
2: I think too, like it's like speaking to consumers how you'd want to be spoken to or a friend. It's like, how much did you pay for that? Well, hey, wait, I got this price. What price did you get quoted? And I think that that's really important to just have like to level set going forward. So what you see is what you're going to get. And there's no question behind that. And that's like part of the consumer confidence.
0: And Natalie, it, it seemed as if you were just about to say, yes, this model is going to have to evolve. I mean, as a consumer,
2: I think that <laughs> with any price pricing online and pricing discrepancies, it, it's an ex- a confusing customer experience. And I think anything confusing online can be the erosion of customer trust. So I think it will have to be figured out because the internet is not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, you have a couple first impressions and what do you want that to be? And I think that brands should start thinking of that.
1: If you're offering a really great quality product at a good value price, like there's no there's no need to hide. Like that's that's a winning formula that everyone can get behind and everyone feels good in that transaction, which is like the best outcome, right? Like. Customer like the customer comes away good the company comes away good and anyone who's facilitating relationship in between you have to make it work for everyone to be effective i
2: think but again we're only on the surface like we haven't we don't know the ins and outs and mechanics so
1: you can just go to our
0: website and find
1: out what our is so like I, <laughs> I you know
0: it's easy <laughs> right and in many ways that is what some people in the in the trade industry are wishing was possible for them too not everyone. And many people don't want this world to ever change. And and many designers are are invested in keeping a, a designer discount margin built into things that they purchase. And it's, it's totally understandable. And that's how a lot of designers sort of make a, a big portion of how they get paid. So there's sure. a lot of very understandable sensitivity around it. But it yeah. seems as if the D2C brands and even the way that some of the RHs and R houses of the world are doing a better and better job of going after this designer client with service and with pricing transparency. It almost seems like a, a battering ram that that's coming at the industry.
1: Yes, the momentum is towards transparency and, um, I think it's to everyone's net benefit at the end of the day. But I I do agree that this notion of, you know, people have made, people have made part of their business structure is, you know, taking margin on, on the differences in in pricing. And I think it just needs to shift. Like consumers will pay for great service. So if everything is just living in the right bucket, it doesn't change the total overall number. Like I will, will pay that same amount more for really great service and the product costs what it costs like those are kind of like separate things a little bit
0: that is what still seems unproven yet it Mm -hmm. i mean and that's and that's the challenge and and so i think that Mm -hmm. somehow people have to be reassured about that message well it's it's a really interesting subject and i i feel like now that you are servicing many more designers, as well as your consumer base, I'm going to want to come back to you and talk to you about this more as sure. your as your business grows. So in wrapping up, let's talk about your business growing. So very exciting about wall coverings. And literally, I think this podcast is going to be coming out on the very day that your wall coverings are going to be available. And it's just the beginning there. So that's that's very exciting what else do you see happening for you are there different distribution channels for you do you think about brick and mortar locations do you show up in schumacher's showrooms around the country and yeah i mean you'll
1: you'll see backdrop in a lot of new places um Obviously, naturally extending into the Schumacher showroom infrastructure and sales team and and website. That's
2: both with paint and wall coverings too, not just just wall coverings. Right.
1: We see a lot of folks coming to us um, because anyone in the home goods space, like paint, has kind of been an off limits category for them. The notion that paint is design, but oh, I can't sell paint because I don't have a hardware store in my back room, or you know, I can't. And so we've been able to, through kind of like brand pulling, these people into our orbit. Uh, And then people coming to us and say, like, we actually represent a really nice turnkey way for these companies to merchandise paint in the place where it makes sense to merchandise paint um, alongside those other home furnishing and design purchases. And we have a really robust dropship infrastructure, so you don't have to think about how do you operationalize that. You can think about this makes sense as a category extension for my business, and we can support you in doing that. And so we see a lot of momentum for you know, retailers coming to us and saying like, we want to be able to offer this and you allow us to offer it. So, you know, you'll see backdrop showing up in new places.
2: But, you know, I think it kind of feeds into like our thesis that we wanted to make paint a design purchase. We wanted to show up in home design, not the hardware store. And we always knew that paint could be as impactful as a $65,000 sofa, but as accessible and easy to buy as like a $65 throw pillow. So why can't we treat paint like an accessory and show up in home spaces all over. And I think that that's really been a guiding principle and a little bit of our North Star as we continue to figure out what's next.
0: Well, and I'm hoping that there is an evolution of home spaces and what that becomes, right? Because I I, I feel that's one of the things holding our whole industry back is that there aren't easier places to come and have these kind of design transactions, as you talk about.
2: Totally. 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 Couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah. we I mean, so high level, that's exciting for us from a distribution perspective. Uh, we don't have any near-term uh, plans for kind of owned brick and mortar. In a lot of ways, paint, in a hardware store is a purely logistical situation. Like you go into that space to pick up color materials, to then go back and get sample paint to take home, to put on your walls, then to go back and buy the paint. Like that is like those multiple trips is just because that store doesn't serve a purpose except for a logistical stock point. You are not trying on the product. You are not interacting with it in any way. And so I do question the need for, Kind of like brick and mortar dedicated um, paint stores, especially in in a future where you know delivery is just very very easy and becoming easier with autonomous vehicles, etc. Like, I I think that's like a long term trend that you should pay attention to in the paint category. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves.
0: Well, I mean, it was interesting to see your your former bosses at Warby Parker feel that that retail was so necessary to right For sure. Bring people in and and to let people try things on, but also, I mean, so often people in the digital space talk about that customer acquisition cost. Talk about mm-hmm. what what physical presence can do for them to build that greater brand awareness.
1: I mean, if I'm in, in an apparel business or an eyewear business, I am opening physical stores. If I'm in a paint business you can't do anything with the paint in a store. You can't put it on your face and see if you like it. You can't touch and feel the frames and see how good quality they are. You can only pick up a piece of metal or a color card that doesn't even look the same in the lighting. Like it serves no actual purpose except for logistical convenience. And so is I think that's a different thing for paint. And so, but it'll be something to monitor. they are, Tens of thousands of paint stores in America. And so, you know, I'm contrarian on that.
2: Well, I think too, like as a consumer, (laughs) if I go into a store with no other context to look at paint, um, like Caleb was saying, like, what do I do? I, I pull up my phone, I go on the internet and I look to see what does this color look like because there's no other reference here. So I do think that what Caleb said makes total sense of like you need that digital environment a little bit and you don't need that brick and mortar store just to hold your can so people can see the color sticker. And our color stickers, though, are 100% accurate. And that was so important to me. So I do have to add that, like on the on the cans, because, you know, I always like it's an, an exact accuracy of the color that you're looking at. So that is, at least with our cans, you can get that.
0: Well, and tell me, tell me again, before we go, why you wanted to redesign the can, why you wanted to upset everyone and change uh-huh. the shape of that can. I mean, my
2: dad was the biggest one that told us not to do it. Like we were, I think he was with us when we got our first prototype you know, why are you doing this? This is a terrible idea. And then he picks up the can and tilts He's like, why hasn't anyone done this before? <laughs> I wish I would have recorded it because it was amazing. But Caleb, I'll let you take that with.
1: I mean, we we tested a lot of concepts before we landed on this one. And basically what we found was I don't, if you've ever opened a cylindrical paint can, like you need a big tool, it gets all yes. bent up. You need to close it. You got to hammer it. It's splattering everywhere. The actual, like, it's hard to carry, and you definitely can't carry multiple of them. I can carry four backdrop cans, like, pretty easily, like just with my fingers. Like, so aesthetically, they're aesthetically it's beautiful. Like,
2: people keep our cans out on their bookshelves afterwards because it actually looks really nice to see the can, the label next to the color, and it's not something that you, you know, you know bookshelf not your basement like it's just it's I,
0: I believe we saw a shot of your your sort of kitchen uh, area with some backdrop paint yes, paint yes yes that is my kooky <laughs> kitchen with my patterson
2: plan <laughs> rug um and, and super moon yes. but yeah it's something that it's yeah. not you don't want to hide in the closet or, or hide downstairs and i mean previous to backdrop we'd always figure out what do we do with our extra paint cans you know in new york city you have like one closet and do you really want to hide them in there and then so it was really the the, the first principles approach of how do you reach. Rethink and redo everything with some blinders on, and just go for it.
0: Well, and and that's really what I want people to take away from this conversation is 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 what if everyone sort of took this step back and sort of reimagined right what they what they could turn their business or their operation or how they think about totally.
2: Their operation into. And you know, this is so cheesy. I mean, Caleb and I are parents; we have two children, four and eight months, and we watch a lot of Daniel Tiger. And Daniel says, I wonder what if, let's try. And I think that that's the same approach though that we take to our business that like I teach my four-year-old, but why not? Like the, the possibilities are endless and you have to ask yourself like what if and let's try it. And you know, it's not always gonna work but you have to push forward and have a level of conviction to actually like, you know, take that step and do it. And I, I do think that's a super cheesy analogy but I do think it is really important to think with that that um, mindset
0: no leaving us with the words of daniel this, tiger that is I so mean, high design yeah.
2: like so like you know that <laughs> yes <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> what did i do that yeah. is
0: really going to make you us you i think. probably could have no, left I... out
2: who said it and left that quote no i got to give credit oh, where delicious. credit is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i think that like just everyone should approach that of like things can always be better and we'll continue to make things better. and the way things that we're doing aren't perfect right now. so there's always ways to continue to improve and adapt as the market changes.
0: and in a way, coming out of this wretched time that we've all gone through, people seem so much more open to saying, "yes, let's reexamine the work week. let's reexamine so many of the assumptions that we were making about how all of this needs to get done." and and that's part of why I wanted to talk to the two of you to to sort of help us think in a in a broader sense of how things could be presented, how marketing could be thought of, and collaborations and paint can designs <laughs> and just reimagine so so thank you both for for coming and and talking to me about it. I, I really I really appreciate it,
1: yeah, thanks for having
2: us. Thank you so much, Dennis. It was fun to chat. Thanks
0: for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH Insider community for access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you next week.